Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. On the road, we have to play tougher. You know, the, your margin of error is smaller. You know, we have to do a better job of taking care of the ball, but we have to defend and rebounding. I think the rebounding has been great for us, and that's, that's, that's been a big plus. The big thing is, you know, not to change, to concentrate on the improvement. And so uh, we have to put the work into this. We want to keep getting better all season long. You know, I think that if you start uh, taking shortcuts, the results aren't going to be good. And obviously, there's a lot of work to be done. This will be a great test for us. Uh, if we're looking back at, you know, uh, what happened here, we won't be ready for what's coming. If they beat Golden State, that's right. I believe they'll Three be first straight. place in the Western Conference. Now, Houston is right up there at 8-3. and three. Wolves are 7-3, and three, tied with... Golden State, but you could see the way they're playing the last five games and they're yep. playing defense and yeah. like Jimmy Butler has just sacrificed almost all of his usual offense. He's averaging like ten fewer points per game yeah, or something. Box scores are nothing special, and it's not because he's just atrocious. He's just deferring. Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins are taking more shots than he is offensively because he's focusing on. Or let's glue this all together. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play defense over here because I know that that's where we lack the most, and I'm going to maybe conserve more energy for defense than ordinarily, even though he's always just an energizer bunny. But that's been really interesting to watch that dynamic. Has the same man in the same year ever won coach and executive of the year? Because I would argue right now that Tibbs the exec trumps Tibbs the coach. Because this Butler acquisition has changed everything about this team. And Jamal, I would say oh yeah, Jamal, Jamal Crawford... Now, he's got holes in his game, obviously. He's, well, he's a volume scorer. Nice too. Yes, he has. But I think the fact that, and B Elites has been incredible, mm-hmm. and he's looked like a lost soul at times the last couple of years. But it's amazing when you put a couple guys in there to just empower the rest of the team. It's like Jamal Crawford steps on the court with a bunch of lost souls, Shabazz and Bielitsa and <laughs> Yes, Baz remains a Young lost soul. Tyus Jones, right? But when you add, and even Gorgie can be, Gorgie's a, a decent player, but Gorgie can get kind of lost out there. And it was the worst bench in the NBA. And you put a guy who is as confident and sometimes overly confident, like the shots that Jamal Crawford takes, and he makes a lot of them. But just that self-assuredness, I think that matters. And other guys look over at self-assured Jimmy Butler and self-assured Taj Gibson and Jamal Crawford. And it gives them permission to maybe be a little bit more confident themselves. The Butler dynamic intrigues me because he never stops. Locker room, on the court, on the bench, it never stops. 
Garnett had the same thing going, but Garnett 2.0 back with the Wolves was a was a guy who knew how to lead but was just washed up. I mean, his knees were shot. Butler is still in the prime of, of his career, and so he's got he's got the ability to go out there and show you exactly what he wants. And but it's continual. If he's on the bench, if he's on the court, in in the room, it's the same thing. The man never stops talking, and it's good too. I, it, it's not like there's some players who do that, and you're like, oh, just shut up, you know, just shut. But when Butler's going, Troy, uh, not Troy Hudson, um, Orlando Hudson, yes. was like that with the Twins. But Butler, he's just he's speaking, but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, but yeah. Butler controls things, and it works. Um, the milestones that they're reaching right now are simultaneously amazing and embarrassing early on. So they are four games above 500. Yep. For the first time, have you seen this one? Four games above 500 for the first time since what year? Oh, I. you know what? I saw it last night. Yeah, 2003 or something. 07. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So probably KG's final year. That's the last time they were four games above 500. How about the fact, okay, my favorite was this. So they were going for uh, four consecutive wins. Four consecutive wins on Saturday in an 82 game season and I and I went to the practice on Friday and Tibbs and Butler and the players are all being asked you know the last time you won four consecutive games was actually the fourth win was the game that Rubio came back against Dallas from the knee 2012 and so and and I don't blame fans or people in our end of the business for being like okay this is you but the looks you get are like you do realize you're talking about four wins. And Tom Thibodeau, except for last year, as a head coach, the worst team he's ever coached is a 46 and 36 Bulls team. And that was one of the years that, or it was like a 45, uh, I got it here, 45 and 37. That's the worst team he ever coached as as coach of the Bulls. And that was one of the years I think that Derrick Rose was out for the season and you know the wheels a, just came off and a, they still were able five, to finish that far above A five-game Win streak is legitimately a great accomplishment for this franchise. I know it is. It's 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 sad, but it's fun to watch because you finally feel like you finally feel like there's an opportunity for, for the fan base to not be embarrassed. Uh, the Chicago Bulls in Tom Thibodeau's first season there in 2010-11, mm-hmm. they finished the year with nine in a row, and also let's see here, thirteen of fourteen, and then another. Eight in a row before that, so twenty-one of twenty-three. Yeah, so this is for him. This is normal. This is how. This is yes. what he's used to. He was with the Celtics before that. Yeah, it's not uh, a big deal. This was Tom Thibodeau on Jeff Teague, who's been, aside from those first two or three games, he's been pretty magnificent for the Wolves. You know, Jeff is very unselfish. He wants guys to get shots. Uh, he tries to make the right play if he needs to score. I thought he had a, a good blend when the game was hanging in the balance in the second quarter. He hit three threes that sort of opened it up. And I think when he does that, uh, you know, it puts more pressure on the defense to come up, and then that opens up other things. I've got a Jeff Teague, Ricky Rubio audit for you real quick here. Yeah. All right? Yep. So it's been, oh, I don't know, what, 10, 10 or so games for like an eighth of the way through the season. Yeah, we'll and Utah is is going to be battling for one of those last playoff spots. Probably they're not going to be a terrible team, and Ricky Rubio has been off to a pretty good start. But – Rubio is averaging fewer assists per game, and it's only 10 games, but fewer assists per game than at any point in his career. 5.8 assists Mm -hmm. per game. Uh, Jeff Teague, meanwhile, is up to 8.5 assists per game, and that's a career high so far. Now, that'll probably regress. Uh, He's usually like 7, 7.5 assists, but 
to see a three assist per game difference between Rubio and Jeff Teague is pretty staggering. I wouldn't have thought that. I, I would have thought for sure Rubio has more assists. And, and he's then, trying to shoot more. Uh, yeah, so Rubio is actually, not. he's also turning the ball over a career high, like mm-hmm. four and a half turnovers per game for Rubio. And he's kind of morphed into shooting more than he's ever shot and still distributing, but it's almost like he's trying to prove a point about scoring. Oh, he definitely is. And he's still only shooting like 40%, so it's not. It's, it's better than his career, but it's not great. Uh, Jeff Teague, meanwhile, is shooting 42% from downtown, mm-hmm. which is big for the Wolves. And he's grabbing a few rebounds here and there. Rubio is always a really good rebounder as a point guard. But right now, I would take what we're seeing from Jeff Teague through 10 games yep. over what we've seen from Ricky Rubio in Utah through 10 games almost every time. This isn't even close, and here's why. Jeff Teague, when you watch, when, when you watch this start to work, this is what you want. Ricky, uh, so... On Sunday against Charlotte, Teague, 18 points, 4 of 5 on threes, 12 assists. If Rubio has that game, we come in the next day and we are so excited he shot well, right? And we're and, and we're saying, oh, look, it's starting to work. It's starting to come t- together. And inevitably, within a week and a half, he would be terrible from the field. He would get a bunch of assists. What Jeff Teague is doing, I liken it to this. What Jeff Teague is doing for the Wolves offensively is what Adrian Peterson's absence is doing for the Vikings. It works. I mean, you can you can see why Thibodeau looked at Ricky and said, it's not a fit for me. And, and 25 years ago, it would have been. But Jeff Teague, on a consistent basis now, is running this offense. On Sunday, he came down the floor a couple times, and guess what? He shot. And guess what he did? He made it. With Ricky, he'd come down the floor, and maybe once every five games, he would consistently make his shots. But the rest of those games, he would come down the floor, and he would try and shoot, and it would miss, and the opposing team would get the rebound and go back down. My point being, what they're what the Wolves are doing offensively right now fits what you want to do in the NBA. Yeah, it's just like, in its simplest form, it's just really nice that your point guard can make a freaking shot on yes. a regular basis. And a three-pointer. It's just, it's nice to know that, yeah, if if it's late in the game, or even if things are slipping away in the second quarter, like Tom Thibodeau's talking about, and he references the three three-pointers that Jeff Teague hit, that, and now, now Rubio, I believe, knocked down four or five threes in a game for Utah, so I don't want people to be like, whoa, Rubio, that... We're looking at big picture numbers here, and Ricky Rubio, big picture for seven years, has been one of the worst shooters in the history of the NBA, mm-hmm. and it's been bad at the rim as well. And yes, he does other things. He's a much better rebounder than most point guards. He's a much better distributor and facilitator than most players in the NBA, and he does get hot once in a while as a shooter for like two weeks here, two weeks there, but even that hot streak, it ain't like Nemanja Bialica's hot streak where he's shooting 60 or 65% from three right now. To start the year. Rubio's hot streaks are like, oh, he went 5 of 10. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a total disaster. Yep. Instead of 2 of 13. And I think that matters. And uh, so maybe you're sacrificing and rebounding a little bit. You're probably sacrificing in terms of staying in front of opposing point guards when they're trying to drive in and uh, and get penetration. I can live with that if Teague is also distributing mm-hmm. and knocking down three-point shots and floaters in the lane, that little mid-range game he has. Absolutely. It's been uh, it's been a breath of fresh air. Open phone lines if you have Wolves thoughts or if you think you know when Teddy Bridgewater should step on the field for the Vikings for the first time this season. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. And some hot stove twins and baseball things 
starting to percolate now that free agency is open. So we'll get Wetmore in here this hour to go over. In fact, MLB Trade Rumors has two specific signing predictions in which the Twins are going to spend around 75 or $80 million on two pitchers. That uh, We'll get to that later this hour. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Put down the sports page and listen. On 1500 ESPN. I've defended Capers for years, and I, I don't know what to do anymore. I, 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 I can't imagine the talent is this bad on the defensive side of the ball to where guys just in the, guys don't know where they're going. Uh, look, I, I played at a smaller college. I know in our defensive meetings, when you're on the defensive side of the ball – there's a want to tackle. You want to hit somebody. You want to knock someone in their mouth. Go, Matt, go! I played in college, guys. You know what he, small college. I played small in, college. I played in There's college, There's a want. Guy. It's effort. It's grit. Oh, the Wild God. and Packers played the same game last night. We figured it out. <laughs> I played in college, guy. Man. We got breaking news. Adam Schefter... Tweets this, according to Chris Mortensen, the Vikings will activate Teddy Bridgewater this week, and they are also discussing the possibility that Sam Bradford will be placed on injured reserve, thus ending his season and probably his career with the Vikings. The um, 21-day window to activate Teddy, I believe, is Wednesday. So I think if you hadn't activated him, tomorrow, right? if you don't do it by tomorrow, he is ineligible to return. So that that's a bit of a, a formality. The Bradford thing doesn't surprise me one bit. Well, I, but but I, it is a formality. But you do have to make room on the fifty-three sure for Teddy. So if you thought, well, you know, we don't think he's going to start because we're in love with Case Keenum. Let's just let's just not activate him. Let's just let him sit out if we think Bradford's coming. So this yep. this tells you. In the the ranking order of you know who, who they trust health wise, Case Keenum number one, Bridgewater has now surpassed Sam Bradford almost oh, definitely in who they trust health wise. Yes, yeah, I I think there's a frustration with Sam too, um, and and it is a a credit to this team and it is remarkable because if we had if we had forecasted back in August that Sam Bradford was going to play one really good game and then essentially not play again, we'd say they're in big trouble. But given what's happened now, my guess is that that they don't want to be forced to put um, the third quarterback. Is it Slaughter? Slaughter? Sure. Naga, Naga, Naga. Slaughter. Slaughter. They don't want to be forced to put him through waivers because they think he would get claimed, and Bradford's done. I love that worry all the time with the Tyler Thigpens. Oh, they do. And the, uh, who is that one guy? McLeod Bethel Thompson. Yes. Well, what if another team claims him? Do well, you then, know, they, then they've landed a crappy quarterback. Do you, awesome. Do you know how upset Childress was when Thigpen got claimed? The re- the primary reason, there were two of them. That the they pride ca- of Coastal that Carolina. They, that they canceled their scrimmages, their practices with the Chiefs, were one, fights, and two, the Chiefs saw Thigpen and claimed him. They were livid. I mean, it, it might be funny to you, but they were, I'm not kidding you, they were absolutely livid. That a team had seen too much well, of Tyler Thigpen and claimed him. In fairness to Brad Childress, where I would have been mad too, if you had invested three years into Tyler Thigpen, <laughs> you might get what the Packers have in Brett Hundley now. 
Like the Vikings well, could have had the, what the, the Packers play have call. This in is too Brett Hundley. <laughs> this is too much fun. Uh, Packer vent line from uh, after last night's game, courtesy of the fan in Milwaukee. Go, Pat, go! On a bus ride home from Lambeau right now, and it's not the offense, it's the defense. It's the defense for the last four years. Rodgers has covered it up over and over and over again. I agree. Hey, you look how... How many times do they punt the ball this evening? How many times do you get off the field on third down? I, it's, it's the same old, same old. I don't know a ton about team. I don't know this or that. But you're looking at first, second, third round draft picks over the last four years that can't get off the field. Go, Pat, go! I look at a guy like Mike McCarthy, and it's become very apparent to me that Aaron Rodgers has made him a lot of money over his career. The tension between these two is starting to make a lot more sense. I think we saw a few weeks ago Rodgers, uh, you could read his mouth, he said, what a dumb bleeping call after a play that McCarthy drew up. Uh, it, it's probably a godsend that Rodgers gets to check out of a run play to a pass play or vice versa because clearly if they were running a game plan by McCarthy 100% of the time, they would be a bottom third offense in the NFL, even with Aaron Rodgers, because he is scared. I mean, the guy is sackless for uh, lack of a better term. I don't think he meant tackling the quarterback behind the line nope. of scrimmage there, did he? Nope, nope. That's not what he meant at all. <laughs> why are we why are Packer fans splitting hairs though about it's not the offense, it's the de- no. Aaron Rodgers has covered up every ill you have. Everything. Like there's no well, it, the defense, he's covered no, he's covered up everything for you. You've spent and, and in fact, you can make a case that going back to 1992, you've had two quarterbacks who have covered up a ton of problems. Uh, a case? A case? No, I don't mean the pun. I mean, like, yes, those no, have been two no, of the greatest early, quarterbacks of all time. Early early Favre, early Favre, you still had some struggles there. Early Favre won an MVP. But early Favre, he won an still, MVP in, like, 1995. But do, do you recall when, I think it was 90, 93 or 94, where he and Holmgren got into a dust-up and Holmgren was constantly mad? But the fact is, if you say, well, it's it's the de- – no, it's everything. Aaron Rodgers has covered up every one of your problems. Yeah. Um, on the Vikings front, email from Carter here. He's reacting to realistic Randy in Oakland's phone call from last hour. Mm-hmm. Come on, guys, and Randy from Oakland. Why does everyone blame Adrian Peterson and a great running game for Teddy Bridgewater's very pedestrian career? Every quarterback, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze – will gladly take a top-notch running game and top-notch running back to allow them to do even more. It's funny you bring up Drew Brees because I believe they punted Adrian Peterson from the roster after 10 minutes this season so that he could specifically have more versatile weapons in the backfield. No one is saying that Jarek McKinnon is a better pure running back than Peterson in his prime. Although I, if I had to take one or the other just for even handing the ball off, I'd still take Jarek McKinnon because I think he can just do more. And Peterson had a great game yesterday. But Drew Brees, okay, let's let's go with your theory here, Carter, via email. That Drew Brees, as you say, would gladly take a top-notch running game. Well, again, they booted Peterson from the roster. They traded him for peanuts to Arizona so that they could have Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara taking 100% of the snaps at running back. Two guys who have combined for 70 pass receptions through a half-season like those guys are catching the ball in some instances more often than they're than they're being handed the ball, and that's a better weapon and tool for a great quarterback 
than a bell cow that you can turn around and hand the ball off. To. It, it, it just is. Adrian Peterson, in his prime, I will take him in a heartbeat. In his prime, he was fantastic. And in, in his prime, the game was still evolving to where it sits today, which is a pass-happy league, which is, when it's going well, fun to watch. That being said, by 2015, you've drafted Teddy. He's a first-round pick. He is your quarterback of the future. And you get to your first game of that season with an offense that says, okay, we are going to feature what Teddy does well, and Adrian's still going to be a big part of it. And one game in, you have to completely scrap that because you're now aging running back, basically can't play the style of offense that is dictated by your quarterback, who, by the way, should be the guy that your offense is built around. That made yeah. no. By that time, that's what made no sense. And for people wondering, like, why do you got? Why are you guys talking about Adrian Peterson again? Because the question is about Bridgewater in 2015. Is he as good as you guys are romanticizing about? And the answer is, well, no. He was 22 years old. He was 21 his rookie year and 22 years old his second year. Mm-hmm. And a quarterback's prime is probably closer to 30 now than ever before. It's it's most positions you're out of the league by 28 to 30 years yeah, old. It's probably around 30. Yeah. Quarterbacks, Definitely. you know, he might Teddy Bridgewater might still be five years away from his prime. So there's going to be a natural growth. The more defenses you see, you know, the more plays you're able to to just soak in as a quarterback, the better you're going to become just by slowing everything down and getting reference points. But why we're why we're getting so granular with that 2015 season is because. He put up those performances, fourth quarters, uh, a, a, a couple great drives in the second half against Seattle in a playoff game in which it was 20 below zero, with the offense mostly molded around an old-school bell cow running back. Well, and, and so we're just interested to see him with a much more molded, catered offensive scheme. And don't forget, too, that that, that offense, uh, which ended up in uh, 2015 revolving around Peterson, was also Norv's offense, which which revolved around what, ideally? The vertical passing game, going deep downfield. That's why the offense that Shermer runs is way more suited for what Teddy does well, which is the intermediate to short passes, which doesn't mean that you're not going to throw deep, but if the West Coast offense operates efficiently, and the Vikings have done a very good job with that this year. If it operates efficiently, what do you do? You do play action, you run the ball, you pass the ball short, you pass the ball 15 yards down the field. That loosens things up, and now you go deep. Yeah. So so between Norv and Adrian, what they both desired Teddy could do, but it wasn't ideal for him, this sets up way better for what he can do. And to your point earlier, uh, and we're going to get to some reckless twin speculation when we come back here, but... You'd take Adrian Peterson in his prime. I, if if I know what's behind door number two, if Adrian Peterson in his prime in today's NFL, in today's NFL, if Adrian Peterson in his prime is door number one, and I know that door number two is pre ACL version of Dalvin Cook and then Jarek McKinnon, or what the Saints have in veteran Mark Ingram, versatile veteran Mark Ingram, and versatile rookie Alvin Kamara mm-hmm. in today's NFL, I would leave. In his prime, Adrian Peterson on the shelf, and take the versatile combos. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take Matt Asiata just because he can catch a pass. But I would take the more versatile combo. Is assuming that my offensive line isn't a train wreck over Adrian Peterson in his prime in today's NFL. I would. Hmm. Um, that'd be tough. That'd be tough because he was he was so good. In in his prime, but but his prime his prime also came at, at a time where the league was morphing 
to where things stand now. If you offered me a young Dalvin Cook and Peterson, it would be very difficult because Dalvin Cook brings you more. But my point is, in 2007, 8, and 9 at that time, Peterson in his prime fit fit the game much better than he would now or does now. But there's no debate. I mean, he's what, 32 now? Like, there's no debate now. It's this well, all, that, but, that, but the conversation isn't about right now. It's about, right, it's but, about 2015 but I, but, Teddy Bridgewater. But what I'm saying is for people who say back off, look, look what he did on Sunday for the Cardinals, I don't care. He ran 37 times for a bad team that's going to drive him into the ground. I don't care. About yeah, that. this is about 2015 Teddy Bridgewater. Correct. That's, that's, that's what this is. How good was he? And he can be a lot better if you put this team's circumstances in and around him, which they might soon because Adam Schefter is reporting Bridgewater will be activated to the 53-man roster tomorrow, and Sam Bradford might be placed on injured reserve. Otherwise, they'd have to clear out somebody else's roster spot. Mackie and Judd, let's come back. Major League Baseball free agency is open for business. It's more of a slow cook than the other three major team sports in this country. But uh, let's, let's go forward with some reckless twin speculation here. Who could they sign? Who are some of the plugged-in reporters aiming for them to sign? Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It's weird, it smells, and it's embarrassing. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. November means hot stove season. Gentlemen, Derek Wetmore is here from 1500ESPN.com. He covers the Twins, and we put out a uh, regular podcast about the Twins called Touch Em All, which uh, you can find on iTunes, pretty much anywhere you would download podcasts. If you have an iPhone, we're going to have a droid version of this app. We have a brand new 1500ESPN app that cleanly lists and gives you instant access to our live stream, our on-demand content, and all of our podcasts. Uh, should we get into some reckless speculation here, Derek? That's what I came here to do. Awesome. Awesome. Love reckless speculation. Because one of my favorite things to do, and uh, and Derek and I connected yesterday, and we're going over this list, when MLB Trade Rumors puts out their top 50 ranked free agents, mm-hmm. and then the projected teams and dollar values yeah. for each one. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's total just like... I mean, it's somewhat educated speculation, but it's not like they're sourcing from sure. talking to GMs. It's just who who needs a pitcher, who's in the market over here, and there's three really interesting points. Number one, they project the Twins to sign Juan Nasasio. He's a 31-year-old National League right-handed reliever who throws in the mid to upper 90s, and he was a failed starter in Colorado, but he's really come around as a rock-solid reliever, uh, has some closing experience. Uh, last year, he struck out a batter per inning and had a 2.61 ERA for uh, three different teams, actually, in the National League. And also, Alex Cobb, coming off surgery, kind of a redemption season last year for him, was once one of the better young pitchers in baseball a few years ago for the Rays. And uh, they've got the Twins signing those guys for uh, about $70 million total over, like, three-year contracts. And also, it says, this is where the reckless speculation gets really good, that you Darvish that there's not going to be a huge market of big top money spending teams and his value might come down because of the World Series disasters. The Twins are listed as a team to watch if you Darvish lingers in free agency. Yes. Your thoughts. It's so much fun and I even saw a column earlier today linking the Twins to Japanese phenom phenom Shohei Otani which like boggles your mind that this guy might be posted this offseason and he might earn three hundred million dollars. For all we know, he's he's been called the Babe Ruth well, of they, Japan. They won't be in for that kind of money. So yeah. here's what's interesting about that: that the Twins are listed on you, Darvish. They're listed on Jake Arrieta. 
Um, they're pegged to take Alex Cobb and one. I think it's Nicasio, Nicasio. I don't know. You, you'd know better than I would. But these guys are kind of just, they're tying teams by saying, okay, the Twins need pitching, so here are some pitchers, go over there. But then if you read through the whole column, it's like, it, it kind of gives like six or ten teams for a lot of different guys, I, I think, just so that sure. you can go back and say, oh, yeah, see, I tied the Yankees to this team. Well, it's a lot of fun to sit here and speculate, but what I'm really curious about, guys, is in a couple of days, we're going to start getting these answers. You could start seeing signings as quickly as today. That, yeah. this Will is, we, though? This might be so baseball's Christmas. Usually teams, I mean, there's always a few signings in the month of November, but usually the big signings and a lot of the big action happens the first week of December at the winter meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like, Tory Hunter always signed before or on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The Twins signed Jason Castro in November of last year, so... Mm-hmm. So things can definitely happen. By the way, it is Nicasio. Juan okay. Nicasio. Right. Yeah. He'd be a huge upgrade to most of the relievers they pumped out last season in a in a year in which they made the playoffs. Well, and I think there are two priorities if you're the twins. Of course, there are, you know, five different things you could list. Hey, I'll go sign this guy and make my team better. But free agency becomes a pretty expensive proposition if you're trying to fix every single hole. So I think their priority needs to be the bullpen, number one. And there's a couple of big-name relievers out there that you could go spend some money on. And I actually advocate the Twins doing that this winter. I think the time is now to go spend money on an ace reliever. The second priority has to be starting pitching as well. So as much as we can poke fun at the idea of MLB trade rumors guessing all 50 teams, and they, they've already been wrong on two of those top 50, by the way. That's still fun. Uh, it's, it's still a lot of fun. But as much as we can poke fun at that, like the idea that they're going into is sound that the twins need to prioritize relief pitching help and starting pitching help. And that I don't think it's ridiculous to spend money this off season. So that's why I kind of, I laugh at it. I have some fun in it, but I also spent a thousand words or 1500 words yesterday in a column saying why those two moves would make sense. If you're the twins is Cobb the name that Provis threw out to us yeah, Alex late Cobb. in the season. Yes, he is. And I don't think, uh, I don't think Corey just thought of that one on a lark. I think he talked to people. Sure. So to me that that one actually does make sense because you know, we, we were talking about potential starters and going down that road and he said, no, here's one to watch. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if, if they're at least in on him. And I think that you're 100% right. On, on Corey is the first person I heard mention Alex Cobb. And yep. that was, I think the season was still going on, wasn't it, it was guys? At the very It was towards the end, yes, but it was still going on. And so here's my quick take, is that if you sign these two guys, good for you, but man, I think you've got to aim higher. I think that this is the winter to aim higher. And here's why. I just think the Twins sort of bubbling up and winning 85 games is a nice story but I question with the the better teams, the teams that are ahead of them right now in terms of just their true talent level, I still think the Twins are a long ways away from being on that same plane yeah. as some of those teams. After They're, watching Houston and the right. Dodgers exactly in right. the World Series. The Yankees, the to, Indians. Yeah, try to envision as the bar kept going up and up and the best pitchers in the world couldn't right. get those lineups out. Right. And then try to envision the Twins 25-man roster kind of like meshing in as one of these teams. I will say their yeah. lineup is nice. I like the young position players that the Twins have. And then you sprinkle in veterans like Brian Dozier, Joe Maurer. This is a good offensive team that will get Miguel Sano back at the start of next year. That's yeah. a huge addition. But I think on in terms of pitching, you just mentioned it, Phil. If Kenley Jansen's struggling to carve through some of those top-end lineups in October, I think the Twins have a ways to go before they're on the same level of competition. And I think the best way to shortcut that route 
is to sign a couple of big name free agents. It's it's going to take a gamble. You've got to take a calculated risk. Right. But I don't think you can stay away from the poker table forever. But it seems like the the way to build a franchise now is to have is to have things come together as far as your prospects and the, and then you go supplement that with guys that you sign on the market. So, where are the Twins at? In in your guys' mind, both of you, where are they at in terms of doing this because I don't think you're going to go all in necessarily until until you deem your prospects to be closer as well. So if we're talking about that and we're looking about what Houston ultimately did, where did the Twins stand today? Well, they're it's it's tough because they're the prospects you speak of, like their lineup is those guys are no longer prospects. Those guys are here, and if especially if you believe the second half of Buxton and the second half of Jorge Polanco. So now is that group of young players? As good as the Houston Astros group of young Carlos Correa's and Alex Bregman's, I mean, you could no, no. I mean, clearly no. Um, there's room for growth with the Twins, correct? It's the pitching that makes me think Derek Falvey and Thad Levine might look at this as you're still going to contend next year, but you might even be another year away. Then like this, this might still be a three year thing to win a to, to like be in that World Series window. Now, if they were to add, let's just say, let's just go with MLB Trainers. If they were to add Alex Cobb, just a rock solid number three, number four starter with upside to maybe be what he was before the surgery, which is one of the better young pitchers in baseball, and also Juan Nasasio. And then all of a sudden, like Steven Gonsalves, light bulb goes on in the big leagues. And then two or three uh, internal relievers start to start to really bubble and progress. Now all of a sudden you're talking. Like now you're talking about maybe 90 wins, but are you the Astros? Are you the Indians? Not quite yet, even with those improvements. Right. In my mind anyway. Yeah. So Judd, you ask where they are. Where the where are they on that spectrum compared yeah. with like let's say the Astros two years ago. The Astros could have loaded up and said, Hey, all right, we've got a couple prospects here and some guys in AAA trade Alex Bregman and try to go get Alex Cobb, mid rotation starter, because that's the last piece to the puzzle. In hindsight, that would have been a mistake. They would have sort of, they should have kept their powder dry. They would have gone for it too soon. So I think that the reason that I'd advocate the Twins signing, uh, you know, like a lights out reliever this winter, let's just say, is because it doesn't cost you prospects to do that. That's where I think this is different. I think that the Twins can reasonably be expected to improve from their 85 win team a year ago without going sort of all in, as you say, without trading, you know, your top stable of prospects, Royce Lewis, Nick Gordon, Fernando Romero, guys like that. You, you don't have to get rid of that in order to become better this winter. So my whole, my whole, I think that this is a challenging offseason for the Twins because they don't want to go too far, like jump in the pool head first and to right. use the Astros Absolutely. example, trade in Alex Bregman for a mid-rotation starter. Mm -hmm. But to Phil's point, these sort of like prospects that you're talking about, well, the Twins comparison would be Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Polanco. That's your sort of core contingency of position player. So that's, I mean, that's how it's a little bit different from the Astros. The Twins didn't lose a ton of 100, 100 loss seasons, so they're, they're not piling up these top draft picks. They kind of have their stable of prospects here. Now it's up to the Twins front office to augment that, make it better. Wetmore's hanging out with us from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch em All Twins podcast, which you can find, download, iTunes, uh, wherever it is that you would find podcasts, and 1500ESPN.com slash podcasts. Uh, one thing just to clear up, because I know there's going to be questions 
from Twins fans about aces and uh, closers. One thing to clear up on that front, and also the Twins did announce a new uh, obscure coach yesterday that fans, I mean, he's much more established than, uh, than say, James Rousen was. In fact, uh, the coach they just announced yesterday was the, I believe, the Rays hitting coach for like six years yep, That's right. with their major league team. So let's talk more about the new hire and uh, other things. Twins, hot stove season is here. Uh, Mackie and Judd, Luther Brookdale Toyota, speaking of the Touch Em All podcast, is a proud sponsor of uh, of our Twins podcast. And uh, they keep our microphones on, for better or worse, on a weekly basis. And they've also been a proud partner of the Mackie and Judd Show on 1500 ESPN. Going back about seven years now, you can see my friends on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. You can also see some of the brand new 2018 models that are on the lot. The RAV4, the Camry. You can lease a brand new tricked out RAV4 Camry for just $199 a month right now. $2,800 down plus tax, title, and license. But that's an unbelievable deal for for probably the most durable car and maybe the most durable SUV you're going to find in this country. And they also have 0% financing on nine different models at Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Is it for charity at all? Uh, not that I know of. It's just somebody decided it would be fun. Mackey and Judd. It's like a clown car, but much smellier. On 1500 ESPN. The number one New York Times bestselling author, John, uh, John Feinstein, delivers a dramatic chronicle of the bitterly fought 2016 Ryder Cup in his new book, The First Major, the inside story of the 2016 Ryder Cup. One of the nation's most respected authors, Feinstein's resume includes 35 books, working for the Washington Post, the Golf Channel, and Sirius XM, and being ducted into the National Sports Writers and Sports Casters Hall of Fame. Enter to win your very own copy of The First Major right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. Thank you, Dave Harrigan. We got Derek Wetmore in here. We're talking twins. By the way, rest in peace, uh, Rick Stelmazic. Rick Stelmazic was a longtime coach through multiple generations of twins rosters. Tom Kelly, Ron Gardner. Yeah. And uh, he passed away from, uh, I believe it was pancreatic cancer, a battle with cancer. And he passed away in the last couple days. So Steli was. Dan Gladden has Steli stories. Roy Smalley, going back to the 80s, has Steli stories. Players from. You know, Glenn Perkins era have Steli stories. So uh, that was sad news yesterday. One thing on the free agent front, gentlemen, Wetmore from the Touch Em All podcast is with us. Let's just make something clear before we get into like three months of speculation and then getting angry at the Twins when they don't sign an ace caliber starter. Like someone already tweeted at us, well, here's the math on if how many tickets they could still sell at Target Field and... Uh, it, and they're leaving $80 million in revenue on the table. And if you just went after two A starters, you know, half the blah, blah, blah. There are three tier one pitchers, or at least three guys who have been tier one pitchers recently on the market. And you tell me if I'm wrong on this, Derek. And all three you could poke holes in as far as if they're still tier one pitchers. Wade Davis, absolutely. One of the top three or four relievers in baseball the last several years. 32 years old, though. You might have to pay $15 million a year on a four-year deal till he's 35, 36. Just something to be aware of. Hugh Darvish is 29 in his prime, has had some arm issues, got shelled twice in the World Series, 
did not pitch particularly well for the Dodgers in general down the stretch. Uh, something to be mindful of. Like, that's the best pitcher on the market, and there's a lot of flaws you could point to. He's not Clayton Kershaw. And then Jake Arrieta is 32 years old. He's been the best pitcher in the National League before in the last few years. Wasn't the same guy this year. Might still get one of those four-year, 80-ish million-dollar contracts. I wouldn't classify any of those as a surefire, except Wade Davis the next two years, surefire closer type pitcher. But, like, if you're going to be pounding on your desk or just... Twin sign aces, like that's what's available. And there are flaws for sure in the two starting pitchers I just threw out there. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'd add uh, Greg Holland to that list probably just as another lights-out reliever. Had a good season for the most part. Melted down a little after the All-Star break, but then kind of bounced back. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, just solid reliever. But, yeah, I think that if you're looking at getting top-line starting pitching, free agent market is one route. Trades would be another route. I think... And, and I, I don't know that I'd necessarily advocate for a trade, but the way I look at it, you Darvish is going to get overpaid. He would be helpful, so you've got to decide, do you want to be the person to overpay him? Jake Arrieta, probably going to get overpaid. I saw MLB trade rumors project him yesterday for a four-year deal worth $100 million. Do you want to pay Jake Arrieta $25 million a year? Yeah, I mean, maybe. And if you do, then that's what you're signing up for. Jeez. I you're, don't. You're taking a risk. I don't either. That's why I want to go pay Wade Davis whether it's four years or five years, I know that it's not going to pay dividends on the back end of that contract necessarily. But I think to go get one of the best relievers in baseball over the past four years, you're going to have to pay for him. And I think that it's worth it given what it would do for the Twins pitching staff as a whole. When you sign an ace reliever like that, you alleviate pressure on so many other guys that it has this sort of ripple effect throughout the bullpen. I also think having an ace reliever like that Hard to quantify, but I really do think that there's this intangible element of when Kenley Jansen comes in that game, the Dodgers felt every day like they were winning. If they had a lead going into the seventh inning, the mindset is, all right, well, we're pretty close to getting to Jansen, and when we get to Jansen, it's over. The Yankees felt the same way. The Cubs have felt the same way in recent years. I think that that element alone is worth like several million dollars mm-hmm. over the course of a season. I, I have no idea how you'd quantify it. I'm not sure if the Twins or anybody has numbers to back up that assertion. But I just think that there is so much benefit that you can get from signing an ace reliever and that that the price is much more likely to be worth it than it would be to go bit you know, if you pay you Darvish $160 million, well now you got an ace. But you got to figure out all those other things. I, I think the Twins can actually afford to be in the ace reliever pool, whereas they probably can't afford to go get the top two starting pitchers on the market. When you say that, uh, do you think that if they if they were to go that route, they would definitely sign what we perceive to be an ace closer? Or is this the type of administration that would go out and sign what they consider to be an ace fireman? Well, and and by that, I, because we are getting into now yeah. it being you know if if you can shut things down in the seventh. There's something to be said for that. Right, so let me, let me, I'll just parse your question apart, because I think that I'm talking about an ace, Wade Davis. And now, however you want to use him, well, that's up to Paul Molitor, new pitching coach Garvin Alston. They, they can figure that sort of stuff out. Uh-huh. But I think that the question, actually, if we back it up a little bit further, it's do you go get a high-priced, proven commodity at the back end of your bullpen or wherever, like Wade Davis, or the second route, if you're Derek Falvey and company, do you try to go get the next up-and-comer, somebody whose name we maybe don't know or like we've heard of, but you just think of him as sort of a guy. That's what the Houston Astros did so successfully a couple of years ago. They got Chris Davinsky, uh, They got Luke Gregerson. 
I mean, Pat Neshek for a while. Uh, was it Will Harris? I mean, they got guys that you wouldn't have necessarily said, oh, household name. There's your Aroldis Chapman, Wade Davis, Greg Holland, Kelvin Herrera. Mm-hmm. I think the question becomes, do you go get a proven commodity and pitch him wherever, whether it's the ninth inning or the seventh inning, as you alluded to, Judd, or do you try to get the person who's next? I think I could see Derek Falvey going that route and finding somebody good, but I think it's a riskier proposition. Both carry their own risks. I think it's less risky, actually, to invest financially in a guy who's proven he can do it. Can you hang for like 10 more minutes? Yeah, I'm here. Because uh, we should get into the Twins. They've just finalized their coaching staff, uh, unless something else unforeseen happens. And uh, an old familiar name has found a new spot as well. We're talking Twins, Hot Stove, uh, also monitoring Vikings things. If you missed it about an hour ago, the Vikings, according to Adam Schefter, will put Teddy Bridgewater on the 53-man roster, and they're discussing putting Sam Bradford on the IR, which would end his season and probably his Vikings career. Mackie and Jeb with Wetmore.